In this episode of Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska. I crank out the spark plug and it falls out of the wrench and drops into this tiny little crack in the engine. So in a millisecond, I've gone from genius to jackass. One man tries to get his VW van again to start using a trick he learned from a car talk puzzler, and a woman takes 30 minutes to open up a can of gravy. I grab the biscuits, I open up, I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking mama up in here, okay? <laughs> we got the can of gravy, I'm like, okay, I'm looking for the can opener. Can't find the can opener, go to the truck. There, where's the, there's no can opener. <laughs> if you've ever been on YouTube and you saw that video of that guy rubbing a can on a rock for 10 minutes and you were wondering if it works, it does. So 30 minutes later, we have biscuits and gravy. Alaskan MacGyvers, up next on Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. I'm Rob Prince. Alaskans have the reputation of being ruggedly independent and resourceful. In today's episode, we have two stories that feature Alaskans improvising solutions in MacGyver style that, unfortunately, do not generate MacGyver results. First up, we have Ian Wright, whose love for Volkswagen buses and vanigans can be blamed on his parents. He shared this story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. I am the spawn of hippies. (laughs) And part of that hippie lifestyle, my parents involved the requisite VW bus. So they had a bus they bought brand new in 1969, and by the time my sister and I came along, it had been converted into a traveling rig. So the seats came out, the seat belts, of course, because it was the 70s, and a big bed was built in the back. Yeah, it was great. So... uh, So as a little kid, this was a wonderful way to travel. Sometimes we would go out for months at a time. And, uh, you know, my sister and I are just flopping around in the back and, you know, sleeping, fistfuls of Cheerios, you know, just a great time. And the sound of the engine coming up from underneath the bed and the warmth and just the sights, it was amazing. It was great. So we traveled like that throughout my teenage life, and I just fell in love with the Volkswagens when I was in high school, basically. I really was like, I've got to have one of these. So I moved up to Alaska in 1994 to be a park ranger at Denali National Park. And being somewhat grown up at that point, I needed my own car. So I uh, met somebody the year before. We moved in together, but in 1995, uh, driving between Denali and Fairbanks, I spotted a 1980 Volkswagen van again on the side of the road. And these are the ones from the 80s. They're real boxy. Wasn't much to look at. It was kind of like a pureed carrot orange and, you know, just one of those terrible color schemes. But this was going to be my traveling rig. So I bought it. I did a little work on it, got it going. And then I tore the seats out, put a bed in the back. (laughs) And one of the things that I also did was I added a little wall right behind the two-passenger seat because... Those of you of a certain age might remember that air-cooled Volkswagens were not very famous for their heat. So by adding this little wall, all I had to heat was this little tiny cab instead of this big box of air. So I had the bed, I had this relatively comfortable cab that I could now use the vehicle in the wintertime. And I managed to get through the first winter relatively successfully. I had to work on it all the time, 30 below, laying on the ground, all that misery, but I got through the winter. It had a chronically weak battery, so I had to charge it. Vanigans were kind of unique because, like the old vans, engines in the back, but the 
battery is underneath the passenger seat. So you have to tip the seat forward, lift off a little metal hatch, and then charge the battery. So I did that, started the car, put the battery charger away, pushed the seat back, and away I went. But what I forgot to do was put that little metal cover over the battery. So this chronically weak battery, and now fully exposed battery, would connect two events later that week that were both totally embarrassing, and one of them nearly tragic. But for now, I was good to go, off to school. So I go to campus, and I park in the parking lot across from the SRC on the other side of the road, that really remote place, no plug-ins. It's February, I think, so probably 10, 15 below. I'm at the library really late. I come out to the car. Great. So no luck. So I do what I often do in this situation. As I get out a can of starting fluid, and I go to spray it in the air intake and try to start it. And I know every mechanic in the room right now is like, you should never use starting fluid. It's bad for your engine. I know that now. But <laughs> so put it in there. And usually it worked. Today, nothing. Again, it's just like, ugh. So nobody's around for a jump. And I am dead set on not calling my wife once again for a rescue because I've done it way, way too many times in the, uh, for the joy of owning this vehicle. And uh, so I'm thinking, I got to do something. And at this moment, I remember uh, a car talk puzzler that I heard many years before, um, which is a great place to get advice, let me tell you. And uh, the, the puzzler basically, I'll cut the, the details, except that the problem was the same, really slow cranking engine. And the guy went out to his car, he pulled out one spark plug out of the four. And then he started it, and by removing the one spark plug, it reduced the compression in the engine, and it could spin just a little faster, and then it would start. He let it run for a minute, put, turn it off, put the spark plug back in, starts right up, he's good to go. And I think, I can do that. I can pull out a single spark plug, and this thing's gonna turn over. So I go to the back of the van with my tools, and I'm wrenching on it. So the Vanagon's also different. It has a huge hatch on the back. And so you lift this big hatch, and then there's a small hatch that covers the engine, and you have to remove that hatch. So I lift the hatch, and because it's been parked on a job site for two months, the piece of wood that I normally use to prop up that hatch, because the struts don't work, of course, is gone. So I have nothing to hold this hatch up. It's like, oh, great. So, I have to work on the engine, pull the spark plug out. Well, I have this huge hatch on my back, just resting on my back. And it's like annoying, but I can do it. You know, I'm doing it. So I crank out the spark plug, and it falls out of the wrench and drops into this tiny little crack in the engine. So in a millisecond, I've gone from genius to jackass. <laughs> and so I'm like, I cannot believe I've done this now. Like. But I'm, I am not calling my wife. I am not. I'm, I'm solving this problem. So I get in this really weird position. I can see it just barely, and I get out a piece of bailing wire because, of course, I have bailing wire, and uh, fashion a little hook in it and get my flashlight. But it's, it's just in this terribly awkward position. And in order to, to see it, I have to lean over the, the back of the vehicle like this. And so I'm... You know, digging away, like, God dang it. And I'm a very patient man, obviously. I own this thing, so I'm <laughs> digging away at it. And I'm probably there for 10 minutes. 
And keep in mind now, the only thing that is supporting that hatch is my butt. <laughs> so just hold that visual for a second. So uh, I'm, I'm there for a long time. So finally, I managed to, after dropping it 50 times, I finally pull it up. And I stand up, I'm so excited, I'm triumphant, I get that hatch off my back and I turn around and right then I look up towards campus and I see multiple emergency vehicles coming my way. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they, really, they really look like they're coming my way. And sure enough, I got fire engines, I got ambulances, I got cop cars all around me. And. Uh, so a cop comes up to me, and I'm like, uh, is there something I can help you with? <laughs> yeah, we got a 911 call about a dead guy in the back of a van. <laughs> I'm your guy. But I'm all right. I'm all right. So <laughs> after a really long time of them trying to figure out, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, it's 11 o'clock at night, it's 20 below, what, what are you doing? It's finally, we came to an agreement. They were frustrated, they wasted a bunch of resources. So I'm standing there with my spark plug, like, okay, I guess now's the time, and I'll tell you now, nope, trick doesn't work. The, removing the spark plug didn't start it either, so had to call my wife for a rescue. Yet again, tail between my legs. But you know, got to do what you do, got to do. So the next day, well, she comes in and we jump the car, so I get it home at least. And so the next day it's warmer and I'm, I'm good to go as always, you know, starts right up. So take off from our house and we live on a steep hill headed towards Murphy Dome, I'm driving down the road and I hear a sound and I'm, man, that sounds like electrical sparks. <laughs> <laughs> An absolutely ginormous, blasting flame erupts from behind my passenger seat between that little wall that I've made and the back of the seat is just blasting up and I am under a canopy of fire at this point because it's going up and it's just everywhere. I, I am terrified and of course it's, it's January so I stomp on the brakes to stop and now I'm out of control because it's just completely sliding just like ah! So and it it is blazingly hot. And I, you know, I probably look like an Arctic version of a bad guy in a Mad Max movie or something. And, you know, and, uh, but I have this huge down coat on. I'm covered with synthetic outerwear. It's, you know, fire that is so hot right next to me, I can't even look at it. And I'm like, I got to get out of this thing. And, uh, and I can't stop it, obviously. So I blindly managed to get my seatbelt undone. And I just full Indiana Jones out the door. And, uh, Thankfully, it just, it hits the ditch and I'm take off because it's like my battery's on fire and I know there's a gas tank under that battery. I'm, I'm out. I got to call the fire department. So <laughs> run back to my house about a quarter mile and uh, fire department head back down. And by then this thing is an inferno. Everything is on fire. Like things that are burning that I didn't think were flammable. So. And I got there right in time to see like a big Hollywood moment of the gas tank blowing up and windows shooting out of it. It was amazing. And I was like, I got to get a picture of this. So run back to the house, grab my camera, run back down there. And by the time I get there, the fire department has come and they're just kind of nonchalantly pulling their hoses out because 
nothing is on fire anymore <laughs> except four little smoldering piles where the tires used to be. That's the only fire left. And they're like, you know, shh, 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 and then they cool the metal down, I guess, at this point. And uh, I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. So fireman comes up to me. He's like, uh, so, uh, Mr. Wright, any idea how this may have happened? Yeah, I think so. So you remember, uh, not only is starting fluid bad for your engine, uh, you shouldn't store it behind your passenger seat where there's an exposed battery. So it's very flammable and a metal can, and it landed on that battery, and it kind of rattled around for a day probably, but then, boom, I got, I got an inferno. So fire department takes off, and there I am standing there with this rancid, blackened carcass of a vehicle, and I think for myself for a minute, like, wow, I just can't believe this, and I'm just kind of taken aback at my sense of relief. <laughs> Like, it's like, man, I, I love this rig and all, but this thing has beaten me down. So not too much longer after I'm sitting there forlorn staring at it, my wife comes around the corner from work, and she's completely confused. She's like, well, we have an orange van again, and that one's black. Like, well, and that's not our, and then she sees me, and she kind of figures it out, and, uh, so we're, she's like, hey, you're okay, and everything's fine, and pretty soon we realize that she, too, is thrilled with my loss. <laughs> she is so glad that thing is gone. It is so not missed at this point. But, you know, it makes me kind of wonder, you know, there's got to be something to this, this addiction that I have, and I think it taps into something that we all like about Fairbanks or love about Alaska in general, and that's a culture of self-reliance. We all really, not all, but most people like to maybe build your own cabin or procure your own food uh, or keep the machines that allow us to live here running. Uh, you know, it's really empowering to be able to kind of do things for yourself. So I think that's, that's something that's always drawn me in and that's what I got my interest in when I was a kid. But, you know, my choice of a seemingly illogical machine kind of begs another question. And what I think it is, so when I drive uh, these vehicles around town, the number of waves and peace signs and most importantly smiles that I get from people just gives me great joy. And I realize when I drive these things, I know that uh, more than one person has had just a little bit better day. So thank you very much. Ian Wright. He shared that story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. If you'd like to see the pictures Ian Wright took of his burned-out Volkswagen van again, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash darkwinternights. This is Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska. I'm Rob Prince. Our next storyteller hates camping and doesn't do it very often, as you will probably be able to tell from the fact that she keeps referring to the campground as the camping ground. She too shared this story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. Here's Alyssa Quinton. So I did not have the typical upbringing as most Alaskan children did. I come from a family from the West Indies in an island called Barbados where the most dangerous thing you have to worry about is a millipede. So when we moved up here, 
Uh, we didn't necessarily do the whole camping, fishing, hiking thing because we typically don't like to put ourselves in situations where the other being has more legs, antlers, claws, teeth than we do. So I'm like, no, no. So when I would get invitations to go camping and hiking and fishing and berry picking, the answer was always no. Um, <laughs> no and no. <laughs> However... In high school, one of my very dear friends, when I was 16, invited me to this four-day camping trip, uh, trip in Denali Park uh, with her partner at the time. Now, I was fascinated with Denali. Like, there's another town outside of Fairbanks that has mountains, and so the answer was yes. <laughs> and I went home, and I said, Mom, I'm gonna go on this camping trip. I waited for her reply. She kind of looked at me. She's like, alrighty then, big woman camping now, all right, come. <laughs> she takes me to Google and there's a list. She has prepared a list and of all the things that you need to go camping. Okay, all right, cool. So I call my friend and I say, so I have this list here, of like all these different camping supplies, do I need that? She said, oh, no, 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 we got everything for you. You just need to bring clothes and shoes and a towel and a backpack. We've got everything else, all right. Sounds good to me. So, um, and the at the middle of summer break, we get all our gear, we get into this big white truck, and we set out for Denali, and we get to our camping ground, and it's that nice spongy tundra, and we set up our tent and all that stuff like that, and we decide it's such a nice day, it's windy, it's sunny, it's warm, we're gonna go walk around the rest of the camping ground and just see what's there. And as we're walking, Wind starts picking up, starts getting a little bit colder, and starts raining. Now, of course, I did not bring a rain jacket because I live in interior Alaska, and the most camping outdoorsy gear I have is an umbrella and insect repellent, so I was not prepared. So we're like, let's go back to the camping ground. And we're about 30 minutes away from our tent, so we rushing, and it's raining, 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 and we get to our tents, and I discovered that not all camping gear is waterproof. <laughs> News to me. So everything inside the tent and outside the tent is damp. And not just damp, but the damp where you like, you take your jeans out of the dryer and you put them on, they're all nice and warm, you start walking and you deeply regret your decision, like that kind of damp. <laughs> And so we're just miserable. Okay, so we build a fire and uh, we dry out as much as we can in that weather and we go to bed in Denali, very damp. Now, my friends were not very happy, so I decided to wake up early the next morning and cook breakfast. My friends are from the South, okay, so I'm gonna cook them some biscuits and gravy, okay, so we get, we get the fire, I get the fire thing and the, the circle thing that you put on top of the fire and you put your pan, whatever the thing is. <laughs> and I grab the biscuits, I open up, I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking mama up in here, okay. <laughs> we got the can of gravy, I'm like, okay, I'm looking for the can opener, can't find the can opener, go to the truck, there, where's the, there's no can opener. <laughs> well, if you've ever been on YouTube and you saw that video of that guy rubbing a can on a rock for 10 minutes and you were wondering if it works, it does. So 30 minutes later, we have biscuits and gravy. <laughs> and uh, they are, you know, feeling much better. And I'm like, yes, it worked. 
and uh, they start gathering all the food scraps and walking towards their tent. So I'm like, question, <laughs> um, shouldn't you be putting that in the truck? <laughs> so you don't attract an animals, like I'm, I'm just, and I'm like, no, 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 we can't do that because then I'll attract the small animals to the rest of our food. If we put it in our tent, then at least we can control it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that makes sense. If it's going in your tent, that's all good with me. <laughs> so they do that and things just start not going well. You know, the, we had made a, mix, a makeshift uh, clothesline thing with some wood that we found. Uh, to hang out our clothes and the wind picked up and blew it over and the boyfriend lost his underwear in the fire, so he was SOL for the rest of the trip. <laughs> you know, as we were cooking dinner and they were doing Trash City with their tents, um, they opened their tents and I just hear, get out! And I see these furry running, like furry things running out the tent. <laughs> I'm thinking, is that supposed to happen? <laughs> it's like, I remembered the list <laughs> that my mom had, and on nowhere did it say furry little things outside of tents. So we, you know, try to keep our spirits up, we tell stories, and we eventually go to bed, and you know, the weather is kind of dry, and most of our clothes except underwear are dry. So we go to sleep, and in the morning we wake up, we're like, Third day, yay! <laughs> In Denali, we're doing it. We're, we're young, we're gonna have fun, I swear, <laughs> okay? And we decide that we're gonna go on this like trail up a hill thing and there's like a waterfall over there or something. So we go over there and we, you know, we do our little hiking thing and we take pictures and we are walking back and you know, everything's going well. We're like, okay, just got one more day. And as we're getting back into the camping ground, we hear this like material rubbing sound. Like if you've ever, you know, you're taking down your tent and that sound of something rubbing together, we are the only ones in the campground so we start hiding, we're, we're going, we're like, what is going on? And we make it around the truck, and when we get to the truck, and we look and we peer, we see a bull moose very interested in their tent. And I, when I say bull moose, I mean bull moose, okay? Big antlers, big nose, and he is a bull <laughs> moose. Now, like I said, my upbringing said, two more flakes, antlers, yeah, that way. <laughs> no, 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 we're not doing that. So I'm like, we need to go over there, let's hide behind the truck. And the friends are like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Oh my God. And I'm like, shh, I hear you, shut up. Come on, come on, come on, come right, okay. And they're like freaking out, and I'm like, well, okay, we just need to hide until he leaves. And he's like, no, no, we can't do that, he's gonna get in our tent, he's gonna wreck everything. And I'm like, oh my God. What if we get in the truck and we set the alarm off? That's gonna scare him, right? And the boyfriend's like, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. So he runs around the truck and we see the truck jiggle. And he runs around, we're like, what are we doing? It's locked, okay? Where are the keys? And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And you're like, hey, are they in the tent? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. And so it goes back around the, tent, uh, the truck and he, we see him looking and he comes back around. They're in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It is okay. It is okay. It is okay. Break a window 
it sets off the alarm, and we get the keys, and we go inside, so just break the window. He's like, no, I can't do this. My dad's trucking. He's going to kill me. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he would prefer that between you being trampled by a bull moose, so let's break a window. Big man, let's rock window. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. It's like, okay, then let's just hide underneath. He's like, no, we got to get him away. And I'm looking at him, like this skinny cross-country skier boy. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you do not understand what a bull moose is, but as far as I know, unless you got some sort of weapon, you cannot just roll up on a bull moose, right? I should not have said that, because I saw his eyes look over to the river, and on the shore is a big piece of driftwood. I'm like, no, you are not. <laughs> that, no, <laughs> you are not going to throw driftwood at a bull moose. He's like, shh, I got it. I'm like, no, you are not going to, you are going to die. And he's like, shh, I got it. Just, just stay there. And me and the girlfriend are like, this dude's going to die. <laughs> so we're just gripping onto this truck, watching him, and here, here he is. He's, now this bull moose is probably where that exit sign is, and it's looking at us like... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and it just sees this tiny boy just. <laughs> We're petrified. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we put dents in the bumper of this truck. As we see our, you know, our friend and her partner making his way towards that driftwood, and the moose is he's he's doing what he's doing. He's interested in whatever's in that tent. He ain't concerned about what this strange animal beast thing crouching on the ground is, and he makes it to the driftwood, picks it up over his head, and he whacks it on the ground. And you can just hear it echo throughout the camping ground. And the moose is unperplexed. <laughs> it kind of looks up and is like, okay, <laughs> and goes right back to nuzzling and going around the tent, right? Boyfriend is frustrated. He's like, I thought that was gonna work. And we're like, okay, you didn't die. Come back over here. And he's like, she's gonna hear you. I'm like, okay, yes, you right in front of it with driftwood and us behind a truck and we're the ones that need to be quiet. All right, you're going ahead. So he lifts it up again and he whacks it even harder on the ground. And it echoes. And that moose looks up, ears go back. And he makes this sound, <laughs> which petrified, I'm pretty sure, everything within a 25-mile radius, especially me, because that was the moment I realized that moose actually make sounds. <laughs> and as that moose made that sound, the boyfriend jumped up, I kid you not, three feet in the air and back into the river while also making a sound of a caffeinated donkey. <laughs> Now, I think that that entire, you know, scene had really, you know, made the moose realize that this was not the chill, you know, environment that it needed, and it just needed to dip. So, kind of, after that, kind of looked and slept itself up and started slowly making its way away from the camping ground. We did not move until we didn't see that moose. And that boyfriend... Driftwood and all came out of the river and threw it and, you know, 
shook himself off, and he went over to the truck, and he grabbed the biggest rock he saw and smashed the window. <laughs> Alarm went off, <laughs> put the key in the ignition, started it, and we grabbed all of our gear, and we hauled it right back to town. <laughs> no questions asked. And I would say, as naive as you are when you are 16 and have never gone camping, trust your instincts. <laughs> hey, you may not know what's right, but you sure know what is not a good idea. <laughs> so go with that. And at least bring a can opener. <laughs> Alyssa Quinton. She shared that story at our February 2020 live event in Fairbanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. Today's episode was edited by myself, Rob Prince. Story consultation by Lori Neufeld. Desperate for entertainment during the lockdown? Well, you can listen to every episode from all five seasons of Dark Winter Nights at darkwinternights.com or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Stay home, stay safe, and remember that these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. <laughs>